Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Caroline, of course, thank you again for joining this conversation today. Yeah, I'm going to lead off with, you know, I think oftentimes, I mean, certainly in the world of education, you know, we are very buzzword driven. Um, for the most part, like a lot of connecting themes, but and sometimes it's a rehash of, of just established concepts we've always known. Currently, one of those phrases that comes up often is the the idea of the future of schools. You know, we've heard this mm. as early, I mean, forever we've heard this, but really, you know, somewhere in the onset of the like the late 90s, 2000s, we talked about the, um, you know, the appearance of the internet, you know, what role that may play. And then it shifted, yeah. you know, somewhere 08, 09 to, you know, web 2.0, social media and such. Now, obviously, you know, where Web3 is more on more the economic side about everything from crypto and all the weirdness with that. But to really, you know, where we are now with, I mean, AI is obviously part of this conversation. But for you, when you hear that term of the future of school and learning, what comes up for you? I love this question. Um, First of all, let me say thank you for having me on. I'm delighted to be with all of you. I love the work that you're doing to reimagine education, reimagine how we bring um, up this new generation of leaders. So thanks for having me. And it's, um, it's an honor to share some thoughts. Um, your question is the future of schools. And I'm hearing it in two different ways. I'm hearing it as what is the content that's gonna be taught in the schools, And what is the purpose of the infrastructure of schooling? Is that correct? Or are you leaning in one way or the other? That's a good question. That's a, that's a good follow-up. Um, I think it's more of the latter. Because I mean, at least for okay. me, I tend to think of I tend to think of school as often governed by structures, you know, four right. quarters in a year, trimesters, report cards, things that often are not necessarily tied, doesn't have to be to to learning. So there's sort of a structural yeah. piece here. I'll save you my whole spiel about school and sometimes church, sort of you know sometimes unnecessarily intercede and we lose the idea of faith and education. But that's for another conversation. Um, I- but I think about this structurally when I ask that question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I need to answer that question from a 30,000 foot view. This is how um, I see um, the future of work life in society in this age of incredible technology. So let me start by saying, I feel like this is the most precious, beautiful, exciting, dynamic time that we could ever live in. Um, we're developing some of the most powerful technologies that we've ever seen in our civilization. And it's also the scariest because we don't know what future we're creating. It's almost like we're, and I've heard this metaphor a lot, but I think it works. So let me just use it again. It's we're midair flying and we're rebuilding an airplane as we're flying, right? Like we, we haven't quite figured out what the end point is, which is actually for me, our biggest problem. Okay. So I won't get into that question right now, but the the biggest problem is we don't have a very clear future idea of what our civilization should look like. Once human value, as we have historically defined it, is displaced by a lot of technology. Okay, so we need to reimagine what human value is. Now, that's just the context. Let me get into this bigger idea. What is the purpose of education? 
for me, when I start thinking about it, it's about how do we establish the foundations for flourishing society? How do we develop individuals for self-actualization, but also work towards intradynamics and create ecosystems of change within, a, within that context that can be lifted and shifted in a society, in a way that a society is well-functioning, okay? For me, the quality of education is directly proportional to the health of, our, of a civilization. So if I take that view, what is the purpose of schooling? What's the purpose of learning? What's the purpose of the infrastructures? For me, it's about creating a generative microcosm, what I call pocket universes or micro futures, places where you can experiment different ways of being with each other, in relation with each other, in relation with our new robotic counterparts and AI counterparts, so that we can experiment and figure out how can we be, um, how can we create skills, um, ways of being, ideas around, and the word is always going to come back in this podcast, and I apologize in advance, but around flourishing. And what does that mean? What does flourishing mean? So I'm in the middle of doing a huge piece of research around what does flourishing actually look like and what are the metrics of human and societal and planetary flourishing and how do we use those as a North Star uh, for everything that we develop. Um, so that's how I would start that question, the answer to that question. I would start with how can schools become ecosystem universes of the civilization that we need to build, develop in the future where AI and bioengineering and robotics and um, all of these incredibly powerful exponential technology are gonna reshape everything that we know. So that for me is the purpose of school. Now, the purpose of learning, if you want me to answer the second question, I feel that we have um, deeply misjudged what learning is about. Uh, we are kind of stuck in a structure that sees humans as sort of narrows down human value as utility value. What I mean by that is schooling has become a churning point for people to be able to get out and produce. That equation doesn't work anymore. The, the ground has fundamentally shifted. The idea of a human as a producer diminishes the value that we place on what we mean by being human. And that's actually the biggest question we have to hold for ourselves. It's like, what is the, what is the idea? What is the, the beautiful vision for what does it mean to be human in the future? What does a beautiful civilization in the future look like? What does a life-centered economy look like? What does a, a, a flourishing um, you know, individual, family units, community units, society unit, planetary unit look like, right? So if we get clear on those ideas, then schooling isn't about taking people from a, from a utilitarian point of view. It's about taking people from a, I'm gonna use this word and I know it's almost hedonist to say it in a podcast. It's a hedonist to say in business context, it's almost hedonist to say in our daily lives, but could we take humans as sacred? What does the sacredness of humanness look like? And what do we value as sacred about humans? And so the, for me then the purpose of learning becomes what I think humans are sacred for is care, ethics, 
ultimately wisdom and compassion. So if we can understand that those are domains that only humans can really own, then the purpose of learning is to deepen those unique skills. So we need to rediscover all of those domains. And I think maybe to close it off, I think that's the purpose of learning. That's the purpose and the future of education. Thank you so much. You said so many things that were just like really igniting my brain. <laughs> uh, this idea of pocket universes. I love this terminology and uh, ecosystem mm -hmm. universes. I right? just really mm -hmm. a very futurist language that I think could be really helpful when we think about the context of schools. Um, mm -hmm. I've always seen schools as a microcosm of society, right? So if we can mm -hmm. build them more consciously towards where we're mm -hmm. headed as a, a human race, um, mm -hmm. I think we 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 serve each other and our future a lot better. Um, you've talked a lot about different views or different aspects of um, the future in terms of school as we ask that question. We want to also now think about the future of work, right? And specifically mm -hmm. when it comes to AI, I think there's a lot of like, dystopian views and sort of like fear, quite honestly, mm -hmm. around. AI replacing humans in a lot of different capacities and what that's really going to look like for us as uh, people. So mm -hmm. curious about your thoughts on that and how uh, folks might be able to sort of dispel some of those fears. And I mean, you've spoken to it um, quite a bit, I think already, um, mm -hmm. but specifically in terms of like the workplace, what, what can give people some hope? <laughs> okay. Um, so again, I want to set the context and then I'll go into specifics. Um, we're, if we're not deploying this incredible technology towards a future that is vibrant, um, joyful, and fill in whatever other word you want, then we have failed. We have failed dramatically. And for me, that is a failure of imagination. That is a failure of um belief and that is a fear-based failure fear-based power-based failure so my true 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 hope is that the, when i talk about this vision of the flourishing of the human species for generations to come is that we don't keep orienting human beings towards extractive utilitarian value but towards a economy of care a life-centered um, metric of how we fully feel vibrant and alive, okay? What that means to me is we need to reimagine work. The word work, in my view, has to disappear. We have thought of work as this sort of like um, extractive idea, this sort of um, idea of like production and utility, and, and, and utilization. For me, that's not where we are. We have machines that can produce. We have machines that can maximize utilization. We have machines that already are displacing uh, human cognitive capabilities. So let's reimagine, let's reframe what work looks like. It's not work anymore. The future, I mean, and, uh, let, let me also caveat, there's a two to three years future. There's a, you know, four to six year future and there's a you know six to ten year future uh, maybe let me pause on that for a second the two to three year future is humans plus ai okay so the future of work if you're really worried about it in the short term is get really good at using ai tools 
let it help you be uh, more productive, more efficient, let it help you be sort of a uh, thought companion to what you're doing to elevate the work product that you're creating. Okay, that's a two to three, you know, two to three year future. That is what we're going to see in tandem is these uh, large language models that we're all used to now, the open AIs of the world. Um, they're, they're known as narrow AI. It's only one thing that they can do. Soon enough, we're going to get cooperative AI, which means the language, large language model can cooperate with a vision model, can cooperate with a, um, uh, a robotic model, and so on. And now all of a sudden, we have compounding skills. And then after that, we're going to get generalist AI, which is one model that can do multiple things. Okay, we already have a version of it. It's not quite up to par yet. Um, and then what happens four to six years from now is dramatic because the uh, predictions of when we get artificial general intelligence, which is, and there's a lot of debate on the, in the AI community about whether this thing is even gonna be a thing, whether we're gonna reach the point of singularity, whether we're actually gonna achieve human level intelligence if not exceed it in all domains is a big question. But McKinsey conducted a study basically demonstrating that all the previous uh, expectations of when AI was gonna be able to achieve something has been dramatically overshot, meaning it achieved it a lot sooner than we expected it to. And they readjusted the expectation of when we're gonna, art gonna get artificial general intelligence from 2020, 2047 to 2027. It's three years from now. Now it's not gonna be evenly distributed. Not every country, not every uh, you know, domain can adopt AGI um, yet. So there's gonna be some sort of adaptation period. But in that four to six year period, we're gonna have to really question what is the purpose of work? And what is the purpose of a human in the, in the middle? And obviously there's still gonna be domains where we're gonna have AI ethicists because what I said, ethics are gonna be continually changing depending on what it runs up against. Um, we're still going to have domains where, you know, uh, individuals are going to have to monitor and maintain AIs. That is the obvious low-hanging fruit. But more um, conscientiously, more consistently, people in the um, leisure business, in the hospitality business, ought to rethink what they're doing. Um, because you can have AI agents that basically handle everything from the planning to the check-in. So the hospitality business, uh, the transportation business, the supply chain business, it's all gonna get very automated. So two things have to happen in conjunction. We have to rethink what work is and we need dramatic social structures to support people who are going to be displaced while we figure out what else would be other economic paradigm that's gonna work in order for us to redeploy them. And that means, you know, for me, it, it's very clear we need universal basic income uh, structures to just help support them. And then six to 10 years from now, we have synthetic biology. We have neural links connecting humans to AI. We have a new human uh, robotic species. And I honestly don't know what that looks like yet. I don't think anybody can uh, determine that yet. Um, there's gonna be massive job displacement. Um, 
if we don't do the transition well, and I, I'm the one working with organizations on how do we transition people with dignity, how do we make sure that we're not creating a potential for economic collapse? Because if we have mass unemployment, we're gonna have people who can't contribute to the economy. And if they can't contribute to the economy, then we have uh, companies that are just gonna collapse simply because nobody's able to buy the products and uh, capitalism as we know it is dead. So much to chew on there, Caroline. <laughs> and I think it's like the you point you picked up on a lot of things that um, we've been talking about. I think the world has been talking about, right? You can't pick up a um, journal, a newspaper article, anything, right, without seeing what will the future of work be? How many people might be displaced? When might that displacement happen? And mm -hmm. and then also the general inequities that are already mm -hmm. present in our society that you know, if we're if we don't have those visionary, ethical, moral leaders who are are really about everyone flourishing, as you say, mm -hmm. then what? Right. So, yes. And right. You mm -hmm. also spoke to all the different paradigms that are, are really alive right now, the different culture wars and um you know, uh, again, I'll point to inequities that are really ingrained in our current economic system, which you pointed mm -hmm. to a little bit about the need for disrupting that. Yeah. Um, if I'm a everyday reader of this and taking it all in, what are some things that I could be thinking about aside from what you're pointing to of, you know, reorient yourself towards mm -hmm. those really unique human skills, which you pointed out, right? reimagine together, connect together, um, mm -hmm. step up and lean into that space, especially where we have those visionary leaders that see a world where there's space for everyone. And, and right. And we're disrupting a lot of the white dominant culture, you know, tenants. Right. Yeah. But how, how can I, as a reader, like take it in, not shut it off and, yeah, and embrace and, and, and think about it, get creative. I love this question. So I've been thinking a lot about, thanks to Daniel Schmachtenberger, who's sort of a social psycho uh, philosopher, I've been thinking a lot about the meta crisis, which are the dynamics that are, uh, exist underneath the poly crisis, right? Um, what are the things that are the very human dynamics that exist underneath? Um, and based on his work, I kind of evolved it. And what I've gotten to is there's multiple meta crises that each of us have embodied. Um, for example, the first one I will ask you is, when you hear about this future within your body, do you feel like you're bracing for impact or do you feel thrilled about the possibility? And if you're bracing for impact, if that's the feeling, the clenching, then I would ask you to find space and a breath where you can release that bracing and allow for the creative vision of the future. So it's very embodied, but let's start there. Let's start there. The second is everything around us feels like it's happening to us and we feel extremely powerless to act. In my view, and I speak about this all the time, when we feel like we're stripped of power, our first order of business is to reclaim the power. So what I will say to the audience, to you in the audience is, what can you do 
to reclaim your power. Some of that might fall into what you need to do to become more resilient, what you need to do to become more um, engaged, um, forward-leaning in different domains. It could start with, I feel so powerless that I need to take a walk in the woods and just be right now and let that nourish me. It, it could be, I feel so powerless that I and and so stacked of ideas and so fear, um, sort of enveloped in fear that I need to fall in love with poetry again. And I need to read a book. I don't know what it is for you, but somehow reclaiming your power, stepping back into the power paradigm. I hate to use the pale power paradigm, but reclaiming um, your your sensitivity. Okay. And then you know, some of the others is recognizing, so again, to make it really simple, it's, can I question the conditioning that my value and my worth is in what I produce? And what would that new value look like if it's not about production? Because production can be extracted and, and, um, and automated, okay? So creative production, intellectual production, we've seen it, right? Those domains are now automated. So the then I would sit with the question of um, how can I decondition those things? And what is now really coming to life as being utterly the most beautiful and sacred parts of my life? And questioning that, right? And really sitting with that and saying, okay, if that's what's beauty, if that is what beauty, truth, and sacredness is for me, then how do I make more space for that? How do I lean into that? How do I create from that space? How do I become more fully embedded in those places? Um, so those are just some very practical ideas of how we shift from what Patrice was saying, a fear-based bracing or contracting or shielding or even anger because underneath anger is always fear um, to the possibility mind space of actually the shift could be if I really sit with it the shift could be beautiful and if we can all sort of like I mean the power of collective action is unmeasurable right if we could all take that one action but we do it collectively then the changes that we can see are, are infinitely profound. And then the last thing I would say is notice the notice your spheres of influence. Be really conscious of what it is that you have influence over and not. The first person I want to say is you, right? How do you influence you and how you show up every day? Um, but the second and third and fourth level of influence is how might you be able to change the system? So you might have influence over um, economic systems in terms of how you spend your money or how you decide to adopt or not adopt AI, how you decide or not to contribute to social media. Remember everything that you type becomes food that's ingested by the machine. So in a way we're being used to use very dramatic language. Human beings are being used to create these all-powerful machines and we're not getting any value of it, which is by the way, why there's this big question about copyright law and New York Times fighting open AI. It's a huge issue and I hope that we land on the right side of history, but we should be the recipients 
our the value of our work should be valued and we should be the recipients of that work. So that's a tangent. Um, but coming back to your spheres of influence, do you have influence over your economic domains? Do you have influence over social domains? Do you have influence over educational domains? Do you have influence over business domains? Are you in the business uh, context? Can you raise questions? Can you be a, um, an agitator, a courageous uh, leader uh, in those spheres? And politically, do you have uh, political influence? Those are systems of influence in order to change structures. So if you can think of ways that you could influence and maximize that influence, and I'll tell you another thing uh, from years and years of sort of managing large scale change, you're gonna be so much more uh, impactful and productive if you can create a duo, find even just one other person that you can uh, relate to and work on this with because um, you generate on each other's energy and you become even more powerful and you sustain each other. So. That's what I would say. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so happy we're ending on this note around personal powers. I think this is really the key. Um, mm -hmm. And my astrology brand, I'm an astrology geek, Caroline, you have to forgive me. Good. <laughs> think about Pluto's move into Aquarius the other day. And all of this conversation is so aligned with that. Anyway. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a <laughs> I would love for our guests to leave our listeners with ways they can continue to follow your work. So you can share your platforms or anything that you mm -hmm. uh, could offer that would allow our listeners to, to keep in touch. Please do. I am uh, very intentional about how I engage online. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a social media manifesto, as a matter of fact, to just help everybody understand why I engage the way that I do. Where you're going to find me uh, is on hellohumanity.com, carolinechubcaldron.com, and LinkedIn. And that's, those are the only places where I am active. And that's it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Benton. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time.